Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So in the latest um, iteration of People Hate Watch on YouTube, and I really don't understand why they're not doing anything else with their time. We got a comment on like not a recent episode or not like the newest episode. It was like a couple episodes back. And uh, it was like, this is really boring. Signed, Don. (laughs) Okay, hold on. Did he actually write signed or was it like dash Don? Okay, I, I actually can't remember because I read this super late at night and I definitely may have had a few drinks. Um, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here and say dash. Cause I can't specifically remember signed, but regardless, he signed his name on a YouTube comment, which is a move considering your YouTube, like his YouTube handle was his name, Don something or other. Well, thanks Don. I hope every time you go to put ketchup on your fries, you get the watery stuff first. Oh my God, man. Relax. Jeez, guy probably has a family. <laughs> Brad. <laughs> Anyways, I like that one a lot. Um, (laughs) I sometimes have been like selling things on like Facebook marketplace and the responses you get are just absolutely hysterical. Um, for example, Mel one time was trying to find a, uh, uh, lease takeover for her old apartment some years back. And someone responded to her just saying, this is too far from where I work. (laughs) Like like no other lead in nothing else. Okay. Thanks. I'll advertise something. They're like, I don't want this. I'm like, all right, great. Well, we're at a crossroads then, aren't we? Oh, well, you can't forget about the classic. So when I had to redo the base, redid, um, or I shouldn't even say redid, it cleaned out the basement during the quarantine. I threw like a thousand items on Kijiji. Hey, is this still available? Yep, still available. <laughs> Nothing. They just That's- click the button. They log on, they click the button, and they never answer. Oh, yeah. Anyways. It's the low, low price of free. Yeah, literally, you can pick it up. at. You want to come at three in the morning? I'll leave it on the porch. It's fine. Like, why would you ask if something's available when it's free? And then I like if it's like 20 bucks and it's like, ah, I don't want to pay more than 10 for this. Okay, fine. But like, it's free. Is this still available? Yep, it's yours. Actually, never mind. <laughs> hey, uh, this podcast episode's boring. Yeah, man, it's July 26th. We haven't had hockey in over four months. Red Wings hockey is almost like still five months away. Uh, yeah. It could be 2021. To be fair, we have never once claimed to not be an ASMR podcast. I so, have specifically said we are not an ASMR podcast. I, don't I put that in the... Su- it's, Brad, I will not do ASMR. You know it freaks me out. <laughs> it is one of the stranger... Uh, call it a trend not, on the internet yeah, not for me i don't like it freaks me out it's weird a lot i I hate being that close to someone's like breath i hate hearing someone's breath yeah, you and, can like, almost their smell their noises. breath through your <laughs> headphones speakers oh, no it's, it's my nightmare i don't like it it's not for me if you like it congratulations it's not gonna you're not it's not it's not gonna be what you get from this podcast i'll start adding cheesy radio noises cut into this just to ruin the effect if that's what we're doing let's be clear there's only certain kinds of role play ryan's into and that's not it that's not it and the other 11 kinds there's only 11 people in this world who know and five of them are brad and evan welcome to the wing wheel podcast <laughs> this went in a weird direction far too soon i'm ryan hannah i'm brad and i'm evan
Uh, on this episode of the podcast, uh, speaking of weird, things are going down in Arizona. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about some Red Wings prospects and their prospects and their possible overseas development in the absence of Red Wings hockey until 2020, who knows? And then, uh, we'll be doing our prospect profiles as well. And then, uh, we'll also consider the 11 different, um, tangents and, you know, deviations from a normal conversation that we'll have between now and then. But first, um, I don't know if this is official or not, but it's guaranteed that John Shaka is out as GM of the Arizona Coyotes. Um, Evan, you are probably the only one of the three of us who's completely versed in this because you were bored today. I wouldn't say I'm completely versed, but I read one story once. So therefore, I am now an expert and I will uh, give everyone the specifics. Um, so it sounds like it's a contract dispute at this point. Um, I guess some sort of mystery organization reached out to the Arizona Coyotes saying, can we talk to John Chaka about some sort of opportunity, whether it's sports or some other level of business? Nobody really knows. Um, they initially said no, um, but I think at, uh, they gave in and finally said, okay, you can talk to John about whatever this opportunity is. And from what I've read, it was basically an offer that was just too good to refuse. And there's, once again, no details on what that offer is. Um, there's a lot of speculation that it was um, multi-sport, multi-business, uh, something quite extensive. Um because I think he was still already the president of hockey operations with Arizona and the GM. So it'd have to be something pretty, pretty wild. Um, and he essentially agreed to it from my understanding. Um, and he told Arizona that he was terminating his contract. Um, and I, from what I, uh, the, uh, release from the, the owner of the Arizona coyotes, uh, they are less than thrilled with uh, what he's with this. Um, they said he it, quit. They literally use the words John Chaka has quit, right? It says John Chaka has quit as the general manager and president of hockey operations. The club is disappointed in his actions and his timing as the Coyotes prepare to enter the NHL's hub city of Edmonton, where the team will begin postseason play for the first time since 2012. Chica has chosen to quit on a strong and competitive team, a dedicated staff, and the Arizona Coyote fans, the greatest fans in the NHL, which is not true. Which is redundant. You could have just said the Arizona Coyotes fans would have known what you were saying. But you can clearly tell the owner is trying to say, hey, everybody, come on our side for for this conflict. Um, and John Chaka basically released the standard. It's been an awesome opportunity for Arizona, blah, 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 blah. Um, but originally even, the team's link, link to this were Buffalo, but Buffalo has since said it wasn't them. Um, other speculation was that it's New Jersey, uh, but they just hired Tom Fitzgerald. Full-time? Yeah. They made their interim full time. Yeah. So now the rumor is that it's something like multi-team, like he would have his hands in a few sports, a few different operations. Um, but then the other theory is it has nothing to do with that. And it's just, he's an Ivy, Ivy league grad and it's just a business opportunity. So, yeah. Like 
Really, no one knows other than what's been released publicly, and then a few rumblings. But what if do we make of? His- he had a he had a parting shot in there too, because he said, "I would have loved to have been in the bubble with the team in Edmonton, but ownership." did not allow that to happen or something along those lines. Like basically he said, I want to be there. They're the ones who wouldn't let me go. He, he basically said, um, I'm paraphrasing this. I love our players, coaches and staff and fans. I very much wish I could be with the team in Edmonton. Sadly, the situation created by ownership made that an impossibility. That's it. My baseless speculation here is that he agreed to, some kind of deal in principle that wasn't with another hockey team, or at least like Evan said, at, at the, it's at like a management level that isn't like hockey operations. And he said to ownership, I will leave either after the playoffs or after my contract is done. So he has an extent, he just signed an extension not too long ago. Yeah. till 23, 24. Yeah. So I would imagine it's after the end of the season and ownership was like, no, screw you. If you're leaving, then just go. Um, or some kind of timeline like that. Cause for no other reason would he say, yeah, I want to be here. Or he could have said like he signed to this company and they said, yeah, like you can do this. You can start whenever you deem is good for you. So like, if you guys want to go make a run for the cup, go make a run for the cup and then start with us whenever it's a pandemic. We don't need you right now or whatever it might be. Here's another tinfoil hat theory. Evan, you mentioned that it might be like a multi-team thing. The Pagulas would be, that would make a lot of sense, and especially with it linked to Buffalo at first, right, Brad? Because the Pagulas don't only run the Sabres, they also run the Bills. That but was what the initial reports were, that he'd have his hands in with the Bills, whoever Buffalo's farm team is. Uh, I think they own a few teams in a more of a minor league sense as well. So that was what the hot rumor was coming out on this topic. So, again, it depends on the role, because... The Buffalo Bills management group, if we're looking at football specifically, is probably the most set group in the NFL outside of Dallas. Like, they are rock solid. They are very well. They are literally the polar opposite of the Buffalo Sabres. It's it's amazing they're owned by the same people. Um, So, I, I know Russ Brandon left a while ago, but I'm pretty sure they filled that president role. I th- I actually think they filled it with Kim Pagula. So yeah, neither us nor anyone listening knows what you're talking about. Basically, the Bills are in a good spot and they don't need a lot of, they don't, I don't know what John Shaker would be doing with them. It would have to be high, high, high for him to go to that organization. Well, maybe maybe it's then just um, the the Sabres and is it Rochester Americans for the Sabres, their farm team? Uh, it's juggled a few times, but I believe so, yeah. So maybe it's like, hey, John, manage hockey ops for all of these guys. We don't want you as GM, but we want you essentially co- like managing the GM. Um, and even if it's not them, like what if it's like an MLSE type thing? Or what if it's like one of these like, you know, mega corporations that owns a sports like Comcast owns the Flyers, right? Is that what it is? Uh, it might sure. be one of those. We'll, we'll go with that. So like Evan said, like this is just a really smart guy. It's not that he has no hockey background, but he wasn't exactly like coming up through the ranks as a hockey GM. He was uh, one of the founders of uh, Stats That's what it is. That's what it's called. Yeah, that sounds like something that's real. Uh, which is heavily tied into the analytics community. You'll find a lot of people who are you know, heavily embedded in the analytics community to say that what John Shaker does isn't necessarily analytics. But regardless, he has a, a tie in there. But first and foremost, he's a businessman. So if if it was, you know, 
someone in stained glass design came and said, Hey, we're going to offer you like 300, $300 million management contract. He's going to leave for that. If it's a lucrative, lucrative enough deal, he's going to leave for that. But we're not used to this kind of thing because we're, we're used to hockey people leaving teams. It's for other hockey opportunities. It's not for, you know, non hockey management opportunities. So all these clauses about this, t- this, team can talk to you or you're only allowed to leave for this kind of position or here are the clauses or contracts you have to honor. It doesn't necessarily always count when you're talking about leaving the industry entirely. So yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, it started coming about not too long ago because Craig Custance and Elliot Friedman were starting to report like Taylor Hall uh, was being uh, negotiated with, with, by the new CEO of the Coyotes. His name is, Xavier Gutierrez, I think it's Xavier. Um, and it was weird because Cheka wasn't there. And then there's multiple other agents confirmed that, yeah, Cheka hasn't been at meetings. And then all of this kind of stumbled down. In terms of John Cheka as a GM, the Coyotes are a good team right now who could have been substantially better had they had a little bit of luck. Has he been a successful GM is the question. Um. The easy answer here is no, because they haven't made the playoffs under his guide. Um, I know they're technically in the postseason now, but that's as one of the 9 through 12 seeds. Um, based on where they were standing, they were a long shot to make the playoffs had it not been ended early. Um, most people would agree he came out pretty good in the Taylor Hall trade until the Coyotes uh, started sliding the other way and started plummeting down the standings. So I don't know. I liked a lot of what he did. I didn't like some of what he did, but ultimately that team never started winning. Now, keep in mind, they could not keep a healthy goaltender to save their lives. They may have the best tandem in the league between Kemper and Renta, and at every point in the last 10 years, it seems one of them was injured, if not both. So he did have a lot of bad luck going his way. And like you said, they have not had any draft luck. Um, His drafting history, his performance on the draft floor, I would say, would be questionable. Uh, He got hammered uh, in the trade with the the trade back with Detroit, even though Jacob Chikorin has turned into a fine player. Um, As good as Barrett Hayton is, that pick is still looking very questionable at fifth overall. So, yeah, I'm... I'm a big fan of the progressive minds and the young GMs, and I'm hoping that catches on. Um, but if we're contrasting him and Kyle Dubas, one of them was doing it far better than the other. I'll say that. If we're talking about vacancies for young uh, heads of hockey operations with a sharp chin, Evan, now's your time. You oh, yeah. Arizona, there's some oh, good golf. That, that would be the dream right there. Although I don't know how much I would be able to focus on work with all that amazing golf out there. Oh, wow. You focus on the podcast plenty. Exactly. I can <laughs> I can multitask. Uh, you mentioned Barrett Hayton, Brad, and that's a great segue into an excuse for me to be angry. Um, people have been like, obviously, there's a lot of revisionist history. When something good happens to someone, people find, you know, handpicked pieces of information to reaffirm that, yes, this person is good and has done good things. And the inverse when something bad happens. So right now what's happening is people are pointing out things that John Shake has done wrong and said he's not a good GM. Has he been successful? Like Brad said, no. The the literal answer here is no. But does that mean he's a bad GM? It's up for interpretation. But one thing that he's being slammed for right now is, of course, drafting Barrett Hayton. That isn't inherently an issue. 
But again, these revisionist history perpetrators are are coming out of the woodwork again. They're like, oh, uh, ha ha, yeah, we're slamming Arizona for taking Barrett Hayton, but why aren't we doing the same for, you know, Detroit and blah, blah, blah over Quinn Hughes? Can't we do both? I'm like, <laughs> first, yes. Secondly, everyone has to stop pretending like the consensus wasn't that Zadina was as high as number three on rankings that draft year. There are teams who said they would take Quinn Hughes. I I will grant that. There are teams that said, yeah, we wanted now Quinn Hughes. Now they say that. I'll give I'll give two of them the benefit of the doubt. And that's still too too many, but regardless. Zadina was almost universally ranked ahead of Hughes. When that uh when that Twitter egg was yelling at me about how Zadina was a consensus number 4 in that draft year and I went and looked it up, I found a list where he was number 2. So if he was if he was number four, it was always behind Brady Kachuk, though. That's the thing. It was never yeah. it was never Quinn Hughes. There were people who thought Quinn Hughes was the best defenseman. They wanted him over Bouchard and Boakfist and um uh went to the Islanders. What's his name? Dobson. Yep. But he wasn't exactly it would have been considered a reach for Hughes to go over Zadina. Zadina was never one of the fallers. He was never one of the guys to fall. Zadina fell out of circumstance. Brady Kachuk was drafted by the Senators because they were enamored by him and he was NHL ready, which in the short term was the correct pick for them. Kotkin Yemi and Barrett Hayton were picked that high because those teams were desperate for star centers. And they conceded on the points of hmm, actual projected talent to select those centermen. And that's a risk that they're taking. You cannot call it a done deal for now oh, between uh, Kotkin Yemi uh Hayton and Zadina. It's just too early to call. But I'll tell you, it looks like everyone's saying, hey, you're sacrificing a lot of potential skill here in, in favor of taking just a positional player. Those people are coming up to be kind of right because Zadina still has so, so, so much promise. Even if it ends up being a watch. Like it, it was never with Hughes and uh it was never Hughes over Hayden. It was Zadina over Hayden that everyone was bashing them for. So it's and it's always Vancouver. It's always freaking Vancouver fans and Vancouver Twitter and everything. That's like, oh, let's you know bash everyone. Look, is it not enough that you guys got the Elias Pettersson pick in another draft yet again? Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? It's not that. It's not far enough back where you can gaslight people. Zadina could be a total bust. Philip Zadina could be a total bust. Do I think he is? No, obviously not. But he could be a total bust, and that will not change the inherent facts that pretty much any team in Detroit's position would have taken Zadina. And if they're not, they'd have to show a lot of proof to convince people otherwise because there's absolutely no suggestion of that before it happened. So the ultimate point Ryan's making here is nobody can fault Detroit for taking Zadina because everybody would have taken Zadina, but everybody can absolutely fault John Chica for reaching for Barrett Hayton because Barrett Hayton yeah. was not anywhere near ranked top five. And what was the highest we seen him in any rankings? Like a, a few had him maybe cracking nine or 10, maybe. I, the most highest I saw him was nine. The highest I saw him was nine. Most of them had him in the mate, mid to late teens. Okay, so the consensus was far from number five and you could say oh five to 15 that's only 10 spots yeah uh going from five to 15 and 15 to 25 is a very big difference not all 10 spot drops are created equal 
And it's like nobody here is saying like, oh, yeah, like Zadina is definitely going to end up better than Hughes is definitely going to end up better than the players drafted after them. Nobody's pretending that's the case. It's this whole insinuation that, yeah, Detroit, who had a player who was projected at the top three fall three more spots and they were wrong for taking him. No, three spots in the top spick, the top six is an astronomical amount to be falling. It is absolutely crazy that Zadina fell that far. It's not impossible, but I was drunk screaming at a wedding for a good reason when that happened. I don't FaceTime Brad. I was FaceTiming Brad. That's how <laughs> you know it was a big deal. You can harp on Kot Kinyami and you can harp on Barrett Hayden. And if Brady Kachuk didn't pan out so far, then you could have harped on him because those were reaches. I don't get it's the 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 need to validate something that validates itself. Like Quinn Hughes is a good enough player where you don't need any kind of extra validation, but the need to kind of assign these blatantly false stories to it is just blows my mind and it's never ending. It just does not stop. And that's why I harp on on Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks for paying their death players too much, because they never learn. And they deserve it. So while you were ranting, I started to go down going down this rabbit hole of the John Chaka saga. Because it is act- it's fascinating, actually. So, guess who lives 40 minutes from Buffalo, or grew up 40 minutes from Buffalo? John Chica in Jordan Station. Boom. And Apparently, this um, conversation with whatever other organization this is took place six weeks ago. What did Buffalo do six weeks ago? Fire Jason Botterill. That was six weeks ago? Yes. In COVID time, that means it was also last week. Oh, my God. If you said it was last week, I would have believed you. And uh, just to pile on needless information into this giant conspiracy theory, John Chaka's sister, Megan, huge Bills fan. All over the Bills Mafia timeline. There's your confirmation. Well, I mean, they're from Buffalo. (laughs) Yeah, but you've seen the Bills for the last 17 years. People from Buffalo have uh, good reason to not cheer for Buffalo. That's fair. Much like Lions fans, yeah. One thing's for certain. Gary Bettman, once again, will be bailing out the Coyotes. <laughs> Some things never end. <laughs> oh my, it, it, it really doesn't stop. If I think for Arizona to really kind of shed themselves of, you know, the next team to move moniker, they have to do one thing, and that's move back to Phoenix rather than Glendale. Um, but let's say, and I don't wish this because I don't ever want hockey fans to lose their own team because that – I presume it's a terrible, terrible thing. And if it ever happened to the Red Wings, I would just probably stop watching hockey because I'm too, it'd be too depressed. Uh, but let's say the Coyotes do move. What would everyone be saying? Oh man, finally that saga is over. Finally, we have to stop hearing about are the Coyotes going to move this summer or not? They just need to fit. They need to figure this out. They need, this needs to stop. Hockey in the desert works. That's where we got Austin Matthews from. He came up through a Phoenix Coyotes youth program, right? That's why when he was uh, Arizona was in the running for him in that lottery, wasn't weren't they? Oh yeah, they were they were tanking hard for him that year, I believe. Isn't okay. So I just went on Google Maps because I wanted to know how far Glendale is from Phoenix. It's yeah. sixteen minutes. Is that really gonna With, you know, lose a fan base? It's not the physical distance; it's the amount of time right before game time it takes to get there that's like saying yeah how close is mississauga to toronto now make that drive at 6 p.m like and there seems to only be one major highway but that's two 
That's heavy Canada, Ontario, Ottawa, Ontario vibes right there. Yeah, it's a 15-minute drive. You'll be there in two hours. Look, I don't presume to know the local geography and roads and congestion of uh, the Metro Phoenix area, but still, I am a big proponent of put your team in the downtown core of the city that they represent. And if you can't, the team probably shouldn't be there. Um, I mean, even that a Kitchener gr- got that figured out for God's sakes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Kitchener. Let's not let's not assign too much value to the land in this city. <laughs> we, we took a walk around the neighborhood. We went to like Victoria Park here. I'm friends with like 17 different people where I'm like, that's either the mayor or a homeless person. I can't tell. <laughs> There's this old guy who's always very well dressed who tells me a joke every time we walk past him on the park bench. He's always at the park bench, like literally, literally at all hours. We went for like a really late walk once and he was there. So it's not like an old person just has nothing else to do. And they just like the community. Like he was there at night, like night, night. And I'm like, I'm concerned he doesn't have anywhere to sleep, but he's so well kept and he's very, you know, well articulated and he seems fine and sound of mind. Although his jokes are God awful. Let me tell you. But you just laugh awkwardly and try and keep walking. No, he's a funny guy. I'm no, I'm no better than him. I'm a vagrant. He's a fun guy. <laughs> Look. <laughs> and that's either the mayor or a homeless person. There's no one in between. Uh, anyways, John Jacob, Arizona. It's a weird saga and it's a fun thing to talk about. Um, all right. Over to some Red Wings news. There is a uh, possibility that the uh, two, two of the Red Wings, three premier prospects in Philip Zadina and Joe Valeno might be starting their season in the Czech Republic. So the Red Wings are uh, apparently negotiating terms of a loan agreement that would enable, um, Zadina and Valeno to start their season uh, in the Czech Republic for HC Okolari Trinic. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. And uh, that's the team where Zadina's dad is an assistant coach. So there's some familiarity there. There's a connection. And what it would do is crucially allow two of the Red Wings' most important prospects to get some very important reps before the NHL season started back up in Detroit. Yeah, so there's going to be two sides to this argument. The one, hey, yeah, it's good to get them ice. Let's uh, let's get them in shape. And B, no, don't want them going over there. It's a different game. They're going to develop bad habits. Where I fall on this, get them on the ice, get them playing, as long as you trust the Czech team to follow whatever game plan you set out for them and assuming they have a good system in place where, you know, they won't bring the COVID back. Because uh, it's... <laughs> It's going to be a lower level of hockey for them. It's going to be easier for them, but it's still a professional league. It's not going to be a cakewalk. They're still going to have to work. They're still going to have to play. A lot of the habits that you will pick up are easily ironed out of your game. So if Zadina doesn't have to do as many corner battles because he's beating guys easier one-on-one or he's a little quicker than them, okay, that... That takes a couple weeks back in training camp and preseason and scrimmage, and and it feels like you never played without it. So it's amazing how adaptable hockey players are, and stuff like that gets way overblown. But being in game shape, having your timing on your passes, your shots, your puck handling, your reads, that is hard to get back. That's why hockey is such a, a run-and-gun tire fire in October normally, and you see teams like Buffalo going on 10 games win streaks because everybody's off. Everybody, it does. They're not off by a lot, but they're off enough that you get results like that. So, if the Red Wings can get a couple of their players in game shape, 
before anybody reports to training camp next season. Yeah, it's a huge benefit for the Red Wings, especially considering they're one of the seven teams not playing until at least December. Yeah, the um, the the point about it being like worse hockey and it ha- could have them develop bad habits, it's not an unfair point to make. But when the alternative is no hockey at all after a season of near meaningless hockey, not necessarily meaningless because I know Joe played in the A, which it were you know important. Ho- it was important hockey for him, but you know they didn't get meaningful NHL games in. So the alternative is working out wherever they are. Um, yeah, the, the, just the ice time is important. It's going to take a lot of guidance and priming from the team. Like that development staff is going to have to be involved and say, Hey, here's the things we want you to focus on when you go over there. We know you're going to be playing for this team. Yeah. And yeah, of course, help them try to win games, but you know, we want you to work it. You, we want you to work on your North South skating. We want you to work on your accountability in your own zone. We want you to work on, you know, puck control during breakouts, whatever it might be that they find to be weaknesses in their game. That's the kind of thing that they're going to want them to do. And that's how you counter those bad habits that could possibly creep in if they play in this league for three months before they start playing for the Red Wings. But no, it's a great thing. You're playing in a pro hockey league. You're getting a leg up on guys who aren't necessarily doing this. And like Brad said, it can give you a huge advantage in, in the starts of season, starts of a season where everyone's rusty and uh, it, it could be a huge boon for them. You know, like they start off and, and they, everyone's rusty and then all of a sudden they play on the same line they combine for like 12 points in their first two games or something stupid like that yeah that's not going to hold forever but that's going to give them a hell of a lot of confidence and confidence is gold with rookie nhl players and again think of it from this perspective too because people will say well yeah all the playoff teams are, are playing so it's not really that big of a leg up uh if the montreal pittsburgh series goes exactly as we expect expect in less than two weeks or in roughly two weeks the montreal canadians won't be playing hockey anymore like it any team in this play-in tournament that gets loses in three four games they get a week of hockey between march and december or january yeah it it's gonna matter i honestly hope they find something for cider over in the del i haven't heard anything about that but I hope something like that comes to fruition. Every everybody should be looking for something truthfully unless you have a player who's like a serious injury risk like Anthony Mantha can take it easy until December. Let's just get him to the regular season in one piece. We sh- um we should make our own league but with bad NHL players. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> the LHL Loser Hockey League. Yeah. No, I, I, it's good. I ho- It hasn't been finalized yet, at least not to my knowledge. So hopefully it does. And if it doesn't, also not the end of the world, I guess. I don't know. This is what counts as news. But then again, we wouldn't be talking about this in anything other than these trying times. Man, I still, I'm still so peeved by the whole revisionist history thing. Um, I mentioned this episode talking about expansion draft stuff. I kind of want to hold off on that, but I just want to still talk about the merits of uh, would it be a good or bad thing if the Red Wings lost Danny DeKaiser in the next expansion draft? How much, how much contract does he have left after the expansion draft? I'll pull that up for you right now. So the expansion draft is going to take place after this next season, right? Uh, yes. And, 
And Danny DeKaiser, after this next season, will have two years left at, oh, after next season, we'll only have one year left at $5 million. So is one year of veteran experience worth it? The easy answer is no. No, but if he doesn't get picked up. See, that's why I think they could leave Danny DeKaiser exposed and he won't get picked up. And if he does it, what does it matter? So here's not saying this will what will happen, but here's why Danny DeKaiser might look good to Seattle if he is exposed. $5 million will help them get to the cap floor comfortably. He is a good, reliable defenseman that they could absolutely count on for a year. He's not going to saddle them long term, meaning they're not getting tied down to a boat anchor. And uh, the final one, the Red Wings are going to have absolutely no good forwards exposed. Like there, there's you can't find seven forwards that are worth protecting on the Detroit, which means the eighth one's going to be garbage. Um, so he almost might be Seattle's pick by default if they go that route because Nemeth will be a free agent, so we won't need to protect him. Chaloski and Hironik are probably your two easy ones to to protect. And then that third, if you're exposing to Kaiser, that third slot's a toss-up between uh, Lindstrom, Bowie, and Biega? Like, yeah, maybe maybe you take a... If you protect Lindstrom, maybe if you're Seattle, you take a flyer on Bowie. Maybe they see, or maybe they listen to this podcast and go, yeah, he's terrible, but 22 points or something like that, right? So, I mean, if they leave DeKaiser exposed, he is likely Seattle's pick due to being the only one worth taking. They will certainly be keeping a close eye on his future, near future health. Because yep. if he spends another season in a hospital bed, uh, I find it hard to believe that they will take him in the expansion draft and they'll take a flyer on any anybody else. Like, what's Detroit's worst case scenario here in, in terms of the season after? So, Heronics- Something insane happens and we don't protect Chalowski. Which I wouldn't rule out the way they treat him, but... Heronic will be going into his third full season. I assume Cider into his second. Uh, Bowie, Biega, if they stick around, they'll be going into their like their third and fourth. The Red Wings lose to Kaiser to Seattle and Nemeth walks in free agency. So they literally might have to sign a free agent for their oldest defenseman to be over the age of 25. Like th- that is a reality that they might have to face. But here's the thing. It is not hard to find a good stay-at-home defenseman over the age of 25 for damn near league minimum price. If they really value that presence in the locker room, if DeKaiser goes and Nemeth walks, they will. the replacement won't be as good as those two. But, oh my God, would it be easy to find a replacement similar to those two? Yes, stay-at-home defensemen are like the energy players on your fourth line yeah you can find seven of them in every organization remember when brian dumoulin became a cog in the pittsburgh penguin stanley cup run just saying not Uh, no because time is relevant to me right now (laughs) (laughs) so the two configurations that you can go with for the expansion draft is seven forwards three defensemen one goalie so four two or uh yeah seven three one 
or you can go just eight players straight up and one goalie. So the Red Wings likely will have five forwards worth protecting is the problem. So they'd be better off just going the 7-3-1. Okay, so Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, Fabry. I, I, if we're not giving up on Rasmussen after this season, no right. matter how- I, I agreed. I just wanted to hear it. Yeah. So Rasmussen, because yeah, I think he would be their pick if we left him exposed. Absolutely. He would be their pick. Um, and then who, who do we protect beyond that? So we have the top line, Fabry, Rasmussen right now. Just again, I'm probably forgetting someone, but off the top of my head, uh, Svechnikov and Hiroshi. I don't like, bother. I honestly don't bother with with Hiroshi. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Uh, I mean, if they pick up a forward in free agency, sure. But again, I'm, the Red Wings should not be in the market for free agents longer than a one year contract right now. And if it's if they do pick up another Val Philpola, cool. You can expose them just to meet league minimums or something like that. So I can um, tell you right now, seven players. So we have Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, Fabry, Rasmussen. Philip Hronik, obviously, and I think unless this next season is absolutely catastrophic, you still don't give up on Dennis Cholosky. I agree. So They don't even have a goalie to protect yet because they don't have a goalie signed pass next year. No, right now it's arbitrarily Jonathan Bernier. Yeah. So, so is it, the next person Svechnikov, depending on his season, is the next person Lindstrom or Nemeth? And I think both those guys deserve consideration because I think a guy like Nemeth might get picked up and he could be valuable to the Red Wings. Nemeth is irrelevant. He's a UFA after next season. You can if if he wants to stay in Detroit, you wait to sign him so you don't have to protect him. You get yeah. that control. You can agree on a contract in January, but you don't sign it till July. Right, but I was working under the assumption that they're going to extend in the same way they will with Fabry because he's an RFA. Nemeth is not an RFA. No, no, he's not. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, a UFA. He's a UFA. The, at the time, as of right now, at the time of the expansion draft, Detroit will have no claim to Patrick Nemeth. So he will not need to be protected unless they extend him ahead of time, which again, I wouldn't agree with if they did put, you know, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge deal. Um, the Kevin LeBanc special and just protect. I, I mean, Ty goes to the younger players. So you've got Hironic, Cholosky, Lindstrom protected on defense. We, like I said, we had our five obvious forwards that needed to be protected. I mean, even if they have disappointing years, you could make the argument. It's not, it's still maybe too early to give up on Svechnikov and Hiroshi. So you protect them because. <laughs> Literally, who else is there to protect at forwards? Abdelkader? Nielsen? No, of course not. So unless it's, some- it's honestly down to Svechnikov, Hiroshi, and then if he gets extended and continues to do well, Dmitry Timishov. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Hiroshi and Timishov might actually be in a competition this year for that last protected spot. Well, then it, then it comes down to, is this team going to bother protecting Luke Lindenning? We might not want the answer UFA. to be yes- UFA doesn't matter. Do you think they'll leave him to the, that? That's uh, another. He's is, the, like he's the is wrong that the strategy side. though to leave the UFAs. Yes, until absolutely. after the expansion draft. Lots of because then did the that other teams time. have to sign them, which is not great. But again, do the Red Wings have a UFA that you are so married to? You would extend them before the expansion draft and expose a young player, even Alex if that young School player is. Yeah, even if that young player is mediocre at 
best. He is like, again, if we're just talking about Timoshov here, I would rather keep Dimitro Timoshov than Luke Glendening for no other reason than age. We know what Luke Glendening is. We know roughly what Luke and Glendening's timeline is. Luke Glendening's timeline is going to expire before the Red Wings are contenders. Dimitro Timoshov's will not. And if Dimitro Timoshov doesn't pan out, who cares? Do you know how easy it is to find a Luke Glendening on the market? It is ridiculously easy. So I th- this is going to be the crux of my argument for this all year is I like Luke, and, Luke Glendening. He's a valuable fourth line player, does the job, does it well, super replaceable. And the same argument goes for Patrick Nemeth. The gist of the story is at worst, the Red Wings are going to lose Danny DeKaiser for the last year of his expensive contract or a young player who is left unprotected because he's un- underperformed or not shown up for enough in his development where the Red Wings thought, eh, not that big of a risk for him to be selected. And if he is not a huge loss, cause he wasn't developing this system. So that's a Cholosky or a lot of it through no fault of his own, a Svechnikov or a Timoshov, or they, they grab a coach's favorite in Luke Glendening. There, that's someone said to someone made a super, you know, snarky comment on Twitter. It's like, Oh, why are we excited about Seattle? It's just another excuse for a great Red Wings player to be taken. First of all, no sec was taken by the Knights. Not that he was nothing, but he was hardly who we were concerned with. We thought it would be Mrazic. Um, and that was a story obviously that played out in a much different way, but still secondly, um, the biggest takeaway is the Red Wings aren't really at risk here. This is one of the only silver linings to be a, being a god awful team. There isn't a lottery to the expansion draft. If you suck, the players you have to give up are also going to suck. The Red Wings are fine. If uh, one of these players lose, uh, goes, there's going to be very few Red Wings fans who just lost their favorite player. It's going to be so many, one of you weirdos who loves a fringe fourth liner. There's a lot of those weirdos, and every one of them listens to this podcast. (laughs) I know. We're making a lot of enemies. If you guys ever get mad at something we say, know that all of our pre-show notes come from Evan, and he coaches on us on what to say. Exactly. It's just a script. Um, Okay. Prospect profile before heading into overtime. Today's prospect is Roni Hervonen. Brad, take us away on Roni. Do Do I just play the recording? Small, skilled forward. Not the greatest skater, high talent, playing in a league, punching above his weight class. I mean, it's the, he fits the theme of this draft. But that being said, Hervonen is playing in Liga, a very good league, and he is not just small, he is downright tiny. His elite, I had to pull up his elite prospects page just to get this right. Five foot nine, 163 pounds. I have this guy by double digits in weight. Okay. <laughs> so he, 153 pounds, 163. Wow. That's You're huge. That's tiny. I'm super jacked. Um, haven't went to the gym in four months. Thanks, COVID. So he is. Thanks, Roni, if you will. Ah, anyways. Uh, so he only had 16 points in, in 52 games, but that was in Finland's top league in Liga. So much like Lucas Raymond, you're going to look at the raw box cars and go, yeah, well. Mm. But as a, in the previous year, as a, I think it would be a, triple underager in the U20 league. He had 55 points in 50 games. So 
when he's, I wouldn't even say against his peers, because again, most of the league was older than him. He was performing well. Uh, with the U8 team for Finland this year, 12 points in nine games. With the U20 team, three points in three games. And again, that's as a 17-year-old. The skill is there. But when we talked about him on the mock draft with uh, Max and Prashant, it is relevant. This guy is not competing for 12 forward spots. He is competing for six. So if you draft him at 32, it, it very well might be worth the gamble. But he has to hit and hit big or he will not play a game for you. So it's it's the ultimate type of swing for the fences. Whereas like a player, I don't know, I'm going to pluck one off the top of my head here, like a Jake Neighbors. You want, if you draft, it, draft him at 32, you hope to hell he can play in the top six. But he has a toolkit where you could deploy him in the bottom six. Hirvonen does not. So you have to understand that. So even if you think he's more skilled, which he probably is, then players like that, mm, buckle up because you better hope for some improvement because as he is now, obviously he's not good enough to play in the NHL. And that sounds like an easy cop-out answer for a tiny 17-year-old playing in Europe. But 17-year-olds nowadays aren't dramatically far off what they're going to be. Well, he's 18 now, but dramatically far off what they're going to be at 25. Yeah, there's still growth. There's still improvement. So you got to think, does a 16-point player in the Finnish Pro League, is his skill set capable of tripling that output? Because that's probably the amount of output that would translate to the NHL in a top six role. The answer is possibly yes. But that possibly part is in bold. So you need him to be three times as tall. So he needs to be 17 feet, three inches tall. Well, he's playing goalie at that point. <laughs> yeah, he's a medium-sized goaltender. Well, then he definitely has a shot of making the team. Not I bad. would. I like his odds. Detroit's thin in net. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If you look at Jimmy Howard lately. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Got oh. him. Yeah, the Roni Hervonen, and I had to watch a lot more of him. I admittedly hadn't seen too much if I hadn't gone out of my way to do it. He's he's that prototypical uh, player type that Brad just mentioned in the way that he is. But also, I think he is also, as Brad mentioned, a little bit riskier because there's not really an opportunity for him to play down the lineup. Like the guy plays like he could play down the lineup. He he plays aggressively both ends of the ice. He's not exactly a guy who sticks around the perimeter. Like he drives the net, gets his nose in dirty areas, doesn't play like he's small, which is what you want to see in a centerman that size, of course. And he's gifted. He's a good playmaker. He's good with the puck. He's got good offensive instinct, instinct, decent shooter. Um, isn't his best attribute, but you know, not an awful, awful shot. Um, it's a, it's a swing for the fences if you take Ronnie Hervona. And if you're a believer, I think you absolutely should do it. Because if this is the kind of guy that pans out and he's showing this much skill now, then who knows? Maybe he grows to be 17 feet, 3 inches, proverbially speaking, in terms of hockey talent. Um, it's not – what Brad mentioned isn't out of the realm of possibility. What he's saying is that you, this isn't a very likely um, um, outcome. You're putting all your eggs in like the lowest – probability bracket here but if he if you hit and his development goes extremely well and and he hits his ceiling then you have an extremely high skilled albeit small centerman who's going to make a lot of great plays for you and who plays a reliable game on both ends of the ice and that's something that you want to see one of the big knocks on small players is that well they're small they're weak so they don't play well defensively 
Well, he's small and he's ostensibly not strong, but he can play well defensively. He's responsible at both ends of the ice. So, yeah, I don't. I I like Ronnie Hervona. The more I watch him, the more I think, yeah, this is one of those guys. If you're willing to take a risk on him, and if you have the kind of development that can get the most out of him, absolutely. He's shown that kind of skill where it's worth it. And just because he's that skill doesn't mean he doesn't get his nose dirty. And you like to see it. Where do you see him go though? At, at what round would you be comfortable drafting him, if at all? Where would I be comfortable drafting him? Probably late second. Um, if the Red Wings wanted to gamble on him and uh, the the one of their either their second or third second round pick, I don't know if I'd take him at twenty two just yet because there's more examples of this type of player not panning out than there is of them panning out because this is the type of player. Uh, draft analysts and and scouts and people on dummies on the idiot on the internet like us who see this guy in his league they see the the absolute skill oozing from this guy and they go oh yeah everybody's sleeping on this guy he's gonna be amazing well there's a reason these guys usually don't pan out it's because they're supremely skilled for the league they're in but their size strength and speed um isn't there to translate to NHL, to the NHL. So every once in a while, one of them does hit. Every once in a while, you get that Johnny Goudreau. You get that, well, he's not small, but that Sebastian Ajo. But more often than not, you don't. So you got you, you really do have to factor that in. My My initial thoughts are this. Would I be the one to take a swing on him? No, for, for a lot of the reasons that you stated, it doesn't jump out to me as one of those high probability, low probability guys, if that makes sense. Like the kind of guy where he's not very likely, but it looks like maybe he is a market efficiency, so to say, and other teams are more looking at how small he is rather than how much his skill could overcome that. But I also wouldn't have guessed that we would have, that Detroit would have taken anti Tuomiso in the second round last year. So how much value do you really assign to that late second round pick? And if you have three of them, why not take a swing, even if it's not likely? Because if you consider it, the more likely the, the guy is to pan out, the higher he's being drafted regardless. You want to find those late-round guys that can, again, my stupid, stupid metaphor, bring your rebuild above the speed limit and start taking some shortcuts and drive faster. That's how you do it. You you close your eyes and you swing like hell. So it's funny because my mentality has always been swing for the fences and I'm, I'm still there, but I, I do find myself kind of shifting philosophy because let's say with one of the late second round picks, if you get a guy who plays the next 10 years on your third line, is that a good pick relative yeah. to where they're picked? Yeah. That's a great pick. Yeah. So, uh, man, it's, I, I do find myself now D- leaning. The towards- Darren Helm stands just got a, a year's worth of ammunition. Well, I'm not saying draft Darren Helm there. Let's not get. <laughs> I'm still drafting skill players, but I'm at that point maybe looking at the guys who are supremely skilled. Like uh, let's let's take a Jake Neighbors or even a guy that I tend to like more than most, Zade Wisdom in Kingston. They have skill, but they also have attributes to the game. They could their game they could play up and down your lineup. So you're more likely to get an NHL player there. And it's about walking that fine line. And there is no right philosophy here. 
Believe me, I go against my own philosophy in a lot of rankings that I do because I'm a believer in skill. But again, it's got to be translatable skill. Yeah. Fun there- fact, uh, what Brad's rankings was one of the ones that I had up during the mock draft and all the ones that he criticized me on almost perfectly match where he had those guys ranked. So I just wanted to put that out there. Oh, I've, I've updated my list since you've seen it. This is not What's the a- point of being friends with you. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> but like, I'm trying to think of a higher example. There is a reason why I have not the same position, but the same thing. Jamie Drysdale currently ahead of Cole Perfetti in my rankings. That might change, but Perfetti. No doubt in my mind, more skilled. Not a question in my mind. But I think Drysdale's a better bet. I think Drysdale has more trans, uh, as, as many translatable NHL level skills. But it's those, it's the minutiae of it. It's, there's no right answer here. There never will be. It's a guessing game. And Hirvonen is like the poster child for it because you have got to be Damn confident in the skills to take him. My news is a $5 word for you, Brad. Good job. Hello. Um, of course, that's something we're going to be talking about a lot more, and I'm going to save that soundbite from Brad about having Drysdale over Perfetti because that's extremely Yeah, I, I flip-flopped them like six times already. Um, and we will double back to that. For now, uh, we are going to get into overtime um this is oh it's sunday yeah i never know what day of the week it is the only fun fact the only way i keep time is through this podcast uh we're gonna start with patreon uh for overtime which is a segment where we read out fan uh, questions and comments um and our patreon patrons get their comments read out as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show thank you local winged wheel podcast patron dylan krill says hey guys who do you think is the most underrated player in the nhl who will shine in this year's playoffs Define underrated because I, my answer to this is always Mark Stone. I still see him like down near like 10th. I saw a list where they're like top wingers in the league and Mark Stone was like 10th. And I was like, I'm sorry, on what planet? Okay, so we're basically allowed to take pl- pe- players that people recognize as very good but don't quite have them in the elite tier? Yeah. Okay, my answer is Mika Zibanejad. That's a great answer. People really don't understand how impactful Mika Zibanejad is on the ice. He is, he had the highest goals per game in the entire NHL this year. So had everybody played the same amount of games, Mika Zibanejad is your Rocket Richard winner. Yeah, it was actually a thousand goals per game. He almost broke Gretzky's record. He was averaging five <laughs> goals a game for a brief window there. <laughs> uh, Evan, who's your most underrated player? Jonathan Huberto. Every time. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great one. answer. Yeah. Um, okay. Jake Nagy says living in Portland, Oregon, the hype around the Kraken is pretty exciting for hockey fans in the Pacific Northwest. This area is known for its love of the Seahawks, soccer, and the Blazers, but I think it has a potential and opportunity to create a widespread hockey culture. The Kraken have sold more season tickets, uh, and merch than Vegas did around the same time, and the Pacific Northwest is more of a hockey climate than Vegas. So, who finishes with more points during their inaugural season, the Kraken or the Wings? The Kraken, they're going to get a way better team than what we have right oh, now. Yeah, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's going to be yeah. Kraken. With these rules, and even if GMs are only half as dumb as they were with Vegas, Kraken's still starting in the middle class. It's definitely Seattle. And it's a flat cap. They're going to be dumber than they were. 
Lonnie Zone says, howdy, fellas. I'm still buzzing from that Seattle Crackman announcement video, and I can tell because I'm making people watch it who have no interest in sports, much less hockey expansion team naming videos. And the response has been tepid. Anyways, wanted to comment on subsequent intrabucket. I found that people who use words right but pronounce them wrong is actually a sign of someone being well-read. Uh, so congratulations. You know what? Um, Mel actually made both – she said this to – about me and you, Brad, she said the same thing. She's like, when it shows that you read a word when you were really young and then you just, yeah, anyways, they're much, Lonnie and, and Mel are much better spoken than we are. So they're complimenting us and I'll yes. take that. I also wondered if subsequent was a British English pronunciation or something. So thanks for clearing that up. Oh yeah. Hockey question. Kind of following up on an earlier one. If ownership demands 30 wins next year in a full season, but also says you can spend to the cap, how would that change your free agency strategy? Basically, would you sign any free agents to actually help to make the team better and not just help acquire other assets? Who would you target? Also assume it's a very fireable you who is GM and not Stevie Y. Thank you. So basically, I have to improve this team or I'm going to get canned? By the order of like a dozen wins at least. Okay. Um, I'm not going to do much because for as bad as the Red Wings were this year, they they did have a really bad, uh, a really unlucky season. A lot of key injuries to Kaiser, Mantha, etc. Um, they were one of the lower teams on the PDO scale, which is the analytics st- uh, luck stat. Um, so I, I think just by regressing to the mean, we see six or seven more wins. I'm I'm targeting those value guys because if I'm the GM of this team, I don't want to save my job for one year just to get fired next year because everything goes off the rails. So again, I'm still very pro sign nobody, but if I am, I'm looking for those deals on good players that you could probably get for less than four million. I'm looking at Alex Galchenyuk and I'm looking at Eric Gustafson and I'm looking at players like that. The we'll call them the money ball moves. Yeah, I agree. And I think you go for as little term as possible to not hurt your long term output. But then if you are going for if you you do have to sign for term, the Fabries of the world are your friends. You don't have to aim too high to improve this team. Yeah, exactly. Darren Helmstand Club says, Ryan, we Darren Helmstands have lightly accepted your apology. Let's just leave the overpaid adjective for players who didn't really contribute at all last year. That'll leave you 80% of the roster to jeer. Also, the name Golden Knights is a great name for Vegas. I've always viewed it as a play on Knights and Knights with an N. Uh, and most... And most of us have uh, have had a golden night while in Vegas. What happens there stays there. But what are your favorite places to go in Vegas? Number 43 forever. Um, I've only been once. And I don't know. Uh, oh, Gordon Ramsay's steak restaurant. Love that place. Unbelievable. Uh, Tom Colicchio's craft steak in MGM is maybe the best steak I've ever had in my life. My favorite hotel there would be Cosmo. It's beautiful and right in the middle of the strip. And it's just just enough over-the-top fancy that you you feel like you're you're overpaying even though you're not. Uh, and then I haven't ventured too much off this strip, so I really can't speak to a ton of the, the cooler stuff that you can do out in the desert and the gun range and the off-roading and that kind of stuff. Um, Fremont Street's always worth a visit just for like a couple hours you don't want to spend too much time there but yeah it's cool to see and actually the overhead uh roof outdoors when on fremont street if you're there during a golden knights game when they score a giant puck shoots across the top of it yelling scars probably scares the shit out of everybody amazing 
Um, okay. Jonathan Melhuish says, hi guys. And thank you for answering my question on the last pod. Uh, my question for today is coming from the UK. All of our major sports have promotions and relegations. Uh, that said, do you think any of the four major sports, major American sports would benefit from this? So for example, have two leagues with the bottom three and the top league, uh, going down each year. Um, yeah, basically the relegation promotion system system that they have. So bottom three, at the end of the year, go down, top three in the league below, go up, that kind of system. It might force cheap owners to properly invest in their teams if it meant losing out on top-tier money and would also be much more competitive regular season games. Thoughts? My first instinct here is that um, hockey does not have the kind of funding or religious following in North America that soccer does pretty much everywhere else in the world um, or football, depending on where you're from. Um, in Canada, that might work, but that's not where the NHL exists exists primarily in the States. So um, owners would never go for it. Yeah. Money is the be all end all. And a lot of teams would lose a lot of it. So I can't see them fully going down that rabbit hole. Evan Pardo says, based on how the wings have been constructing the team so far during the rebuild, which current team would you project the wings to play like when they're competitive again? That's an interesting question. That's a tough one to answer. Hard to like, say with we don't know who we're drafting, who we're signing. So if we're looking at the minimal moves Steve Eisenman has made, drafting Mo Sider might be a huge clue towards that. Um, he's he's looking St. Louis. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. Is I, I think he yeah. he wants he wants his skill, but he wants to still be big and tough. Yeah. And I think I think the Blues are the model he's going after, and I mean they they're the reigning Stanley Cup champions. How could we argue it? In a copycat yeah. league, nonetheless, hundred percent. And I think Brad is right in saying St. Louis, and Evan is also probably even more right than anyone in saying that we're not even close to having this full fledged team yet. So it's really hard to know right now. Um, Michael Barry says, "Hi guys, hope you had a good weekend. Say yes or no to the following trades." All right, I'm going to read them. You two answer. Fourth overall for Bowen Byram. No. No. Fourth overall for Seattle's first round pick next year. No. Where do they draft? They they're yeah. given the lottery odds at third of third. But if So they, they, they would could, their worst place would be third next year. No, sixth. Sixth. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, no, because I like this draft. Yeah, a little zero bit better. chance I'm doing that. I've I'm uh, until proven otherwise, I still like fourth overall in this draft better than projected first next year. Um, and then also mentioned, are we excited about Zidane and Valeno possibly going to the Czech Republic, which um, we mentioned before? Yes. Uh, Jake Kiefer says, hello, guys. Hypothetically, let's say Detroit picks fourth for the next four drafts. Do you think it's likely that Detroit becomes a contender again with that outlook? Absolutely. Yeah, you don't you don't get that many top five picks and be bad. You'd have to miss on all of them again. We've said on this podcast, there is a risk of top five picks busting. Nothing's a guarantee. But when you go back over the years, very few of them bust. Even the ones that don't fully live up, most of them are still really damn good players. Like in a redraft, would I take Ryan Johansson fourth overall again? No. Is he still a really good player that's contributing to a good team? Yes. Exactly. Chris Smith says, in this scenario, I want to list, list off a trade scenario involving a bad contract, reclamation project, and a decent prospect. And tell me if you'd make a trade for the three. Um, Oshie Sprong, Alexiev, Erickson, 
Yolevi, Lind, Krejci, Zaborl, Beecher, Ladder, Boychuk, Taves, Sorokin, Quick, Moore, Kaliev. So I am so confused. Sorry, it's a trade scenario involving a bad contract, a reclamation project, and a decent prospect. And tell me if you'd make a trade for the three. Oh, okay. So I'm listing a, tr- uh, a series of three players. One is a bad contract, one's a reclamation, and one is a decent prospect. And if we would make a trade for this group of three. Okay. Oshi, Sprong, and Alexiev. Mm, I don't even no. know who the third person is. <laughs> uh, Erickson, Yo Levy, and Lind. We already have Erickson. Yes. Uh, oh, Louis that Erickson. Erickson. Yeah. Uh, Krejci, Zaborl, and Beecher. No. That's a tough one because David Krejci is underappreciated. Anyways. Yeah, but he's like in his mid-30s, man. He's old. Ladder, Boychuk, Taves, and Sorokin. Oh, shit. I want to avoid Andrew Ladd's contract like the plague, but Ilya Sorokin, good God, yeah. yes. Or Quick, Moore, Kaliev. Oh, yeah. That oh, one's yeah. I like that one a lot because yeah, that's cool, not, we don't have a goalie past Jonathan Bernier. We might as well. It fills an immediate need. He's bad now. Well, not bad, but he's not good anymore. So you're, you're going to get what you're going to get. And he's got, what, three years left? Sure. You plug a hole for a few years and you get Arthur Kaliev out of it. And Trevor Moore's proven he can play in a bottom six role pretty well. So Sure. Um, and then uh, Chris mentioned that he got a free year of the athletic and then immediately saw Max's uh, article of making a case for Askarov at four. <laughs> and did he mention us that uh, that was his next piece and what was Prashant's reaction? You already know Prashant's reaction. Um, I feel for Max because he has to write the case for every possible pick at number four. And whether he agrees or not, he's going to write that piece about Sanderson and Askarov and all the other non-popular picks. And so um, – Personally, I love that article just because I know Prashanth has read it. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think like it's a tough article to write because it's going to have a lot of opposition. And you can look back to the comments on the Sanderson one as well. Um, I, I wish I was in the room while Prashanth saw it. He like obviously it's not a surprise that Max is a he's a reporter. He's a beat writer for the wings for for the athletic. He's got to do it. Um, and you know what? If the un, if the impossible happens, he'll he'll have the material. Uh, Joe Falzone says, how about a quick round of what did Sheka and the Coyotes ownership do to each other to cause this divorce? Um, John Sheka. John Sheka told them that they weren't supposed to do up all the suit buttons on their jacket and they didn't like how snobby he was. John Sheka ordered the most expensive drink on the menu at a company dinner. Uh... I want Evan to catch on because I think he's funnier than both of us. John Chaka only goes with Uber Black. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Sid Phyllis. Oh, this is a Brad question. Tape preference. Black or white, toe to heel, heel to toe, sock style or open toe. Also heavy wax, light wax or au natural. I'm going to go first because I know Brad's going to talk your ear off. Um White tape at the uh, on the shaft, black tape on the blade, um, heel to about an inch from the end of the toe, heel to toe is how I tape, and uh, yeah, open toe, and then I go light wax. All right, grip tape at the top of your stick, obviously, white tape on the blade, heel to toe, 
all the way over the toe, cut with scissors. None of this folding over crap. We're grown adults. We know how to cut. Um, light wax um, with heavy wax towards the end of the toe. I've always been black tape on the blade to hide the puck. I always go white tape to hide the angle of my shot. That's fair. Joseph Fournier says, hey, fellas, I'll tell you what. There are some bad hockey podcasts out there. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Uh, Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. The the charade is over. (laughs) Uh, I just listened to a flaming dumpster's worth of bad hot takes regarding the Kraken and the NHL Awards nominees over at some other off-the-cuff pod known for forcing their soup on their listeners. Oh, I think that's a reference. So thanks again for being the absolute beacon of integrity amidst a sea of immaturity and unprofessionalism. Well, thank you, and I'm very relieved (laughs) because I did not pre-read that question by the way hey evan 69 nice uh so here's two more bold take or bs entries first unless eisenman short suits himself by letting many of the rfas walk and by flipping older prospects for picks the seattle kraken will excitedly select luke lundenning in the waiver draft who will be more effective as a flexible fourth line center on a playoff contending team than this rebuilding one i don't think that's even a bold take i think that's well within the realm of possibility it's a crazy bold take because he'll be an unrestricted free agent. They could just have him for nothing. Not even. But let's just assume. Let, let's just assume they extend him for the sake of the hypothesis. If they extend him, they're not not protecting him. So yeah, it's a bold take. They extend him if they intend on keeping him. If not, he's just gonna go there because they like him. It'll have nothing to do with the expansion draft. Also, who knows when anything counts anymore? Like, when's next season's free agency? When's the expansion draft? Uh, Two, the most equitable option for the NHL entry draft is to have a lottery with the bottom three teams in the standings for the top three picks and having all other non-playoff teams do the gold plan. Stay fresh cheese bags. I I don't see how that works because the gold plan works for the bottom five teams because usually they get a bit of runway from when they've been mathematically eliminated to actually get a good chunk of games in teams that are missing the playoffs by like five, like the five or six teams that just missed the playoffs. They usually aren't mathematically eliminated till the last week. So the gold plan for teams, let's say above seventh last really doesn't make a huge difference because you're giving everybody like three games and saying, well, we hope you win them and you just jumble up those spots. Whereas the Red Wings, the Senators, the Kings, the Sharks this year all probably would have got 10 plus games. So it would have actually been uh, relevant. Um Okay, I'm just going to go back to the comments here. Mark uh, says, hey, boys. Uh, he talks about Valeno and Zidino, which we talked about, and then asked about uh, the swag packages that we're sending out for the patrons. Yes, Mark, they're going out. I just wanted to wait until we had 50 uh, people sign up so I can do a big batch all at once, but it looks like we're about there soon. So, yes, clean it, the junk mail out of your mailbox so the postal worker can fit it in there. Darren Helmstan Club Stan says, Good day, Dud Duds. I'm seeking permission to talk to one of you about a rival podcast we will start up. Don't stress about taking the meeting with me. It will only improve your business skills and podcast relationships for more collaborations. And your collective hack opinions, which playoff team's window is closing and will be the next to blow it up and join us in the lottery division? And why is it the on fire seed team? And that's a great answer because Calgary has a lot of decisions to make. That is. That is a good question, but I don't think Calgary is the answer because you look at most of the, if they blow that up, that is just completely on them. Most of their key players are very young outside of Giordano. 
Um, Goudreau is not old. Monahan's not old. Kachuk isn't old. Lindholm isn't old. They've got, they've got runway at least on forward. Um, I'm trying to run through all the playoff teams in my head. Honestly, Saint, nah, Saint Louis maybe. They're they're not that young. I don't um, think Pittsburgh's next. I think you're going to see a lot of runway with with Crosby and Malkin. I think St. Louis is an okay answer. Like I think that's fine enough. But I think with Calgary, you have to factor mismanagement into the situation. You have to factor that they're not true. getting the best out of these players. I mean, you want to look at a talented team who hasn't always performed up to their their scuff. Arizona, like that's a disaster right now. I got I got to actually pull up like a list of playoff teams right now because there's I feel like there's an obvious answer that I'm missing honestly honestly is Boston that do they have that much runway left yes yeah man. Krug's they, they, a UFA if Krug leaves Krejci's old Bergeron's old Marchand's almost there Chara's like a thousand years old Marchand's like 29 isn't he yeah you think he's his career's on the upward trajectory still Marchand is a good enough player where he's going to be effective until he's 34. He At will worst, be like effective, but is he going to be near heart nominee for No, but years? they have Pasternak for that. Ah, uh, man. I mean, because they have, I McCoy, feel like it's they have McAvoy, easy. I should say. They have, uh, they have, they, I, they have good young pieces, but do they have enough good young pieces to be a contender? Like, you know who they would want is, is uh, Shabbat. Barzal and Connor. <laughs> That'll never get old. And I'm they would, here for it. They would have been dominating like Toronto and Tampa could never have dreamed of if they just nailed that draft. Okay. Okay. So we can pick any playoff team as long as they're a top eight seat going into these playoffs. Cause if yeah. so, I think I just perusing through this found my answer. Bestow your wisdom. Nashville. Ah, uh, good answer. They, good answer. they're, they have no young, not no, but they have very little young talent. Um, and they are old and they are already on the decline. Um, goes on to say Jersey time, staying with Arizona. Can we take a minute to recognize how cool the peyote coyote Jersey was? It often gets overshadowed by the Kachina, but is heckin' cool in its own right. Feel free to talk about any other nineties alt jerseys. That Jersey was cool. Anything with a cactus and desert mountains and a crescent moon on it is dope as hell in terms of it's objectively ugly, but also awesome. Um, I'll always be a sucker for the New York Islander, like the old man with the the fisherman jersey. Anybody who's been listening to this podcast for long enough knows that I live for mid nineties bullshit jerseys. Yeah, they sustain me. Um, and then the last point here is when you need to quit your job because someone else has backed up the Brinks truck, you stay fresh cheese bags to carry all your money to your new mansion so you can make a Scrooge McDuck money pit to swim in. Stay fresh cheese bags, a Fournier company and cash carrying choice of John Chaka, probably. Uh, James Phoenix says, good day, lads. Uh, with, with the Kraken making an appearance, Chaka getting his marching orders at Yotes Land and both Valeno and Zadina starting in the Czech Republic. Um, it's been a crazy few days of process. Seattle coming to the fray opens up the expansion draft and who we will look to protect and expose. Can you see Eisman making any trades to maximize any value or return to negate us losing a potentially decent player for nothing? Short answer, no. Long answer, probably not. Um, would love to see Gino Sveshnikov given the opportunity to prove himself over the course of a full season, but I just can't see it happening when you play things through and who they are potentially looking to expose, like Hiroshi, Sveshnikov, Smith, Pearson, etc. All right, we have time for some Reddit comments. Um, top comment from MJC 
7006. What are your thoughts on the Wings taking a shot on Tag Bertuzzi in the later rounds? He's an overager, 6'1", uh, 196 center, and after two injury plague season, had a decent year with Hamilton. 25 goals and 22 assists in 57 games played. Compared to Tyler's first three OHL seasons, um, Tag in his 128 games played had 32 goals, 35 assists for 67 points, and Tyler 29 goals, 45 assists for 74 points in 133 games. Um, I'm going to pass. I'd, I've watched him play. There's nothing about his game that screams NHL. Um, there's been some rumblings about some behind the scenes stuff going on and I'm never one to put credence to it, but when I'm looking at a a mediocre player with mediocre production, those rumblings are enough to just make me go, yeah, nah. Russell 18 says, what's the pettiest scenario you can devise for first overall pick? Um, Toronto loses to Columbus, which they mentioned in their scenario. Montreal gets swept, like almost like they gave up, like they threw the games and someone like Arizona or Columbus wins it and Toronto and, and Montreal get absolutely nothing. That would be, that would be nice. Um, Yarvik seven says with our possible picks at number four being Raymond Rossi, Perfetti, Drysdale, and Sanderson. Who do each compare style-wise in NHL? We'll save like actual style, like player comparisons, unless any are jumping to your mind, Brad. Um, who was it? Raymond Rossi and who? Perfetti, Drysdale, Sanderson. All right, uh, Raymond Marner, uh, Rossi, Bergeron, uh, Drysdale. He's a tough one. Krug. Um. Ah, Krug's not a great skater, but I'm still going with it. And these are all like pie in the sky comparisons. Yeah. Uh, Perfetti's probably the toughest one for me because he plays like a tiny Ryan Getzlaff. Um, Sanderson is whatever generic defender who's okay offensively, but solid defensively. Oh, yeah. Sanderson? Uh, Mo Sider. Yeah, honestly. Why not? I hate saying that answer, but that might be the answer. Um, Darren Fox says, what's the chance Eisman pulls a big dick move to try to get Seattle to take Nielsen or Abdelkader? Virtually none. I don't know, man. What if he can get him to do it for an extra third round pick? Don't you do that? Abdelkader, sure. Nielsen does not have enough time left on his contract to justify it. And even Uh, Abdelkader, man, you really think the Red Wings are going to be that good that soon? I don't. Lars on Twitter says, will Elmer Soderblom secure a spot in Frölunda this season and what will be his point total in the SHL? I mean, if he wants to be a real NHL prospect, he damn well better play in the SHL this year at his size and with the production he had in the junior league last year. Um, I, I would hope he's at least at the bare minimum a half point per game player. Okay, so the Wild offers the 11th and 24th pick for the Red Wings, fourth overall. Wild picks Raymond, and Detroit comes away with Askarov and Amirov. Are you happy or Brad at that trade? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm Brad at that trade, honestly. Yeah, I'd rather take the the solid bet here. I could see a reality where where Detroit would win that trade in a landslide, but I wouldn't bet on it. Um, Alec asks, have you started watching Gels Marble League yet? If not, you should, and you should pick a team. Well, we need some sports, so maybe we'll end up doing that. 
Um, okay, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We will be back midweek, either Wednesday or Thursday, as the world allows us. Uh, we want to thank all of you who listen, all of our supporters, our patrons, our name-level sponsors, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, uh, Arjun Shaker, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, Lindstrom, I, I think this one says Lind, Lindstrom Stan Club, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Clayton Van Dyken, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Birthday Boy Trev, Chris Ripley, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Kwaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. We will see you this week. Take care. Have fun. Be safe. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.